Welcome to an all-new episode of the Fast Friends Podcast. I'm your host, Logan Cummins, at Logan Cummins on Twitter. And on today's episode, I'll try to make friends with comedian and actor Nick Pine faster than I place an order at Pizza Luce when I land in the Twin Cities. Hi, I'm Logan Cummins. I'm a former pro wrestling creative, a mediocre stand-up comedian, and a ranch-dressing aficionado who lives beyond my means. This is my weekly podcast where I set out to make friends with each and every one of my guests. Sometimes it works. Other times, not so much. Nick, welcome to the wow. Fast Friends Podcast. Yeah, yeah. What a reference. That was my first question for you is actually my like sort of small talk is like, what is your go-to pizza luce order? Um, I mean, I, I just like I just like the um I just keep it classic, man. I just do yeah. like, you know, just deep dish and just deep dish cheese and off we go. Right on. I um I was just there a couple of weeks ago and it is usually one of the first places that I will order from. Um and so I do I actually go with the luce, so the one that has like the Italian sausage and garlic and you know all that that's really good for <laughs> for your breath. Of course. That's mm-hmm. what that's what tourists do. Yeah. I mean, I think I get overwhelmed by all of the different choices, you know. Um so I just have always gone with that. And my wife and I were actually talking about this just yesterday. It's like, I feel like once I order something and it's like, I like it enough, like, I don't try anything else. I just, like, go back to the same thing. I'm, I'm the same way. I'm a creature of habit, especially with food. Yeah. It's, uh, we were, I'm trying to think, what, oh, we had something called Penn Station, which is, I think, more Midwest-based, uh, but, like, Midwest slash East Coast. So, like, let's say Indiana over to, like, the East Coast, perhaps. Um, we had that, like last night and she was like they have so many things on the menu and i i bet they're all good but like i've only ever ordered this chicken teriyaki sandwich so well what you're it's like do you want to gamble on enjoying your meal like you probably will but if i get the thing that i've had before i know that i will absolutely and like we always i think there's a price threshold for me like i'm super cheap so if it's like not that Taco Bell's cheap anymore, but like if it's like Taco Bell, McDonald's, something like that, where it's like a couple dollars, I'm like, okay. If it's like Penn Station, which is like in the ten to twelve dollars, I'm like, no way, am I gambling on that? Wow, ten to ten to twelve dollars, you're like, uh, we're gonna we're gonna yeah. play it safe. Yeah. Yep. No return. I know I want return on my investment. No, um, I, I I appreciate that. <laughs> um, how was your Thanksgiving? It was good. I actually uh, spent it with Allison's family, which was really fun. Oh, fun. Did they make the hats? They did. Yeah, well, they didn't make them. They, they had them. Her mom, okay. Angie, just pulled them out pre-made. That Okay, she told us about that when she was on the podcast. That was one of her favorite traditions, Yeah. Um, despite the fact that they don't actually eat meat in their house. They don't, no. <laughs> Oh, awesome. I was going to ask you if you got to spend it with Rene Russo, because I heard that that used to be what what your go-to Thanksgiving plan was. It was, yes. So in (laughs) pre-COVID days, uh, that has been uh, where I've spent it, which has been really fun, and I've been really fortunate, and they've been uh, wonderful to me and generous, and and that's always always a blast. Um, Yeah, that's... But, that's pretty awesome. That's better yeah, she's, than she's very much, uh, you know, since COVID and they've had some other stuff, other family stuff going on. So it's kind of, it hasn't happened in a few years. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that was, that was my favorite Thanksgiving for sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. We usually, uh, go to Cracker Barrel, not to make you jealous, but we ordered Cracker Barrel to go this year. That's, 
I really like when somebody's like, we just, when you don't make it a thing, you know what I mean? Like, you yeah. don't stress yourself out with, like, okay, we got a family, we got to cook. But it's like, dude, it's Cracker Barrel. What's going to no. make everybody comfortable and what are we going to enjoy? Cracker Barrel. Yeah, Cracker Barrel. do that. Hell yeah. And we started, it actually, we used to do exactly what you said. Like, when we first got married, we would be stressed and we would, like, try to split time between the families. And they were, like, you know, a couple hours apart. So we basically spent the whole day driving and it was, like, miserable. Um, and then we were, like, screw this. We're going to take Thanksgiving and just go on trips. So we started doing that. Um, and then with COVID, we stopped doing that. But the year before COVID, we had randomly like decided to go to Cracker Barrel on Thanksgiving day and like just eat there. And uh, cause we had been going to like, you know, we were like in Palm Springs or like Sedona or whatever. So we would go to like these expensive restaurants. And again, with the gambling, I would be like, we paid like $150 for this meal and it was like fine, you know? Mm -hmm. So I'm like, no, we're going to go to Cracker Barrel and spend like 20 bucks and it's going to be amazing. And so we've just kept it, kept it going since then. I had Cracker Barrel maybe two weeks ago. Uh, they've, I hadn't been there in a long time and they've mm -hmm. stepped their game up from what I yeah. remember. Yeah. Do you, can I ask what you got there? So I got meatloaf mm, good and choice. then some sides. And it was mm -hmm. good. It was really good. Yeah. It's uh it's one of my favorite places, honestly. I've picked it for like birthday dinners even. <laughs> a, I love it. Yeah. It's a, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, awesome. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast. Uh, I'll give you just a quick overview of how it works. Um, it's three rounds. So the first round will be called the fast forward round where we'll just kind of talk about, you know, your life, career, things like that. Um, the mm -hmm. second round is called five for five. It is named after... Um, an Arby's culinary deal from the 1990s. Yeah. And then, uh, so I have five questions for you. You have the opportunity to ask me five questions and we'll just go back and forth. So like one, 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 um, one, one, two, two rather. Um, and then in the last round, we'll, uh, it's the fast friends fortune teller. So we'll use a paper fortune teller from like elementary school days oh, to great. like pick an activity and then, uh, end with a friend request. Love it. Any questions before we get started? Let's do it. Awesome. Um, and feel free to interrupt along the way, right? It's a conversation, not a interview. You got it. <laughs> um, so my obviously, I made a reference to the Twin Cities. You were born and raised in Minneapolis and St. Paul, in the St. Paul part of Minneapolis, St. Paul, correct? Yep. Yep. What was correct. your uh, childhood like there? And what were you like as a kid? Um, it was good. I, I feel somewhat fraudulent as a... Uh, <laughs> uh, as a comic, just because it seems like comics usually have very um, tortured upbringings and 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 a lot of family trauma and a lot of unresolved, you know, f familial distress, which is mm -hmm. where and and my I, it was great. Like both my parents are, you know, they're still together, and like we're still really really close, and like I, I don't know, it was it was great. Yeah. So I feel like I don't, you know, I'm jumping into this game that's almost, that, that can be therapy in some ways for a lot of like real comics comics. And I'm like, I don't, I'm happy. I just want to try this. Right. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, everybody has like some stuff, right. But like to, to your point, it's like, my parents are the same. It's, uh, I do stand up too, sorry. Um, not, not well or frequently. And I only started like f six years ago. So, but it was one of those things too, for me, where I'm like. Yeah, I mean, I have like stories and like there was some stuff that was kind of fucked up, but 
Um, but nothing like traumatic. Right. And like, I still see my parents and talk to them and love them and you know, all that. So yeah, it feels a little weird because you see people go up there and like pour their heart and soul out and you're like, Oh shit. Like I'm just making fun of the fact that I had to go to church three times a week. Like, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) It's fine. It's fine. How, Um, uh, how long have you, you said six years. How often do you, do you get up? So not a lot. I started really late. Um, so I was 35 the first time I ever did comedy. And okay. I went through like uh, there's a place here in Chicago that's called the Lincoln Lodge, um, and I'm, I'm very familiar. Yeah, I'm sure. So, um, so they have a training program, and it was like it was a short training. So I was like, okay, I can commit to this because I had like a corporate career job, right? And so um, I, a lot of times I would try to sign up for things that were more fun to do on the side, like mm-hmm. that I actually wanted to pursue, um, but I couldn't ever get out of work on time to get there or like honor the commitment. So with the stand, they, it was right. called stand up seminary. I don't know. It was like five or six weeks or something. And I was like, okay, I, I can like, like that. make stand it work. Seminary. Yeah. <laughs> and, good. uh, yeah, it was like six weeks. And so at the end you got to do like a graduation show. Um, I had a, an amazing local comedian here named Ricky Gonzalez as my instructor. He was great. Um, and he basically was like, go young children and do open mics. And I was like, Great. And then I started going to open mics and I was like, oh my God, this is, uh, and this is not an old man's game. And I'm an old man. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I disagree. I think it's, I don't think it's ever too late. And I think that, I don't think you have an, a, a, any kind of special advantage being starting younger necessarily. Oh, I just mean um, like staying up late. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Especially yeah. With a family. Um, uh, and yeah, a, a partner. That's definitely, that's the thing. So I'm, I'm turning 31 next week. Uh, still single, no kids live by myself. So I have the freedom to, yeah, I want to go do three mics tonight and nobody, yeah. I don't have to check with anybody. Yep. Um, yeah, I just, yeah, I'm still at the stage where I don't have to operate with anybody else's time, um, as a consideration. Yeah. Is a you know blessing, but uh, on the subject of Chicago, I'm very very familiar with Chicago comedy and its um, and its venues and its scene, because that was one of the the ways that I in 2012 the last time just for laughs was ever at Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a um, junior in college and I uh, won a, a a college comedy competition, um, like a, a nationwide college comedy competition that was hosted by rooftop. And one of the prizes was I got to go to just for laughs in Chicago. And so, you know, made the rounds of all the clubs there. And then, uh, my ex-girlfriend who I met in college is from Chicago and she went back at right after we graduated and, um, you know, came up through, um, second city there, you know, IO and, and then, you know, moved out here and we, we sort of reconnected. So I'm just, I'm familiar with, yeah. Chicago comedy. And it's yeah. awesome. It really is. It is. It is. It's, um, it's, that's one of the advantages of living here is like, you can literally go see comedy anytime. And it's like anywhere, you know what I mean? Like there, yeah. there's no shortage of, of shows that, um, and there have been some great, some great people come through, um, you know, that are doing some amazing things. And it's, it's awesome to think like you might be sitting at an open mic with somebody that's going to go do who knows what. Right. Um, oh yeah. I mean, and, and SNL, you know, recruits heavily out of Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really, 
I mean, yeah, in the in the in the lower tiers at any show, you're like, there's a good chance that a number of these people are going to go on to be huge. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a uh... So it's more of a hobby for me at this point. I'll say that like, okay. cause again, like I, my focus is on, uh, my corporate job <laughs> at this point still. Um, and it's, uh, and I haven't been doing even open mics or like producing, I'd like produce a showcase back in my hometown, um, like a four times a year or so. Um, but I mm-hmm. haven't been doing that with, with COVID either. Um, because they're, <laughs> they're at a, in an area that doesn't believe in the vaccine. So, right. um, it makes it hard Perfect. to have people in a, you know, combined in a room. So, <laughs> well, that was, yep. that was one of the reasons. So I'm just, this is, this is an exclusive for you. So I'm just getting back into standup. And, and I mean, just like after taking like three or four years off. Yeah. Um, you know, I was doing AP bio and stuff, but I, uh, and then COVID of course. But one of the reasons that I stopped, uh, like in 2016, 2017, I started to I don't know. I don't know why this. I've struggled with anxiety my whole life, but never stage fright. I started having really bad panic attacks on stage. Oh god! I mean, I mean, debilitating, and it scared me because it, it had never happened before. I mean, I made my career as a performer like stage yeah. fright was never a thing, and all of a sudden it just started happening, and I couldn't find the source, and it just scared me so much that I just stopped. Wow. And then after being away from it for a while, I was always timid to come back because I was like, even if I get over that, like I haven't worked out my joke writing muscles yep. in years and I don't know if I'm still going to be able to do it. And so uh, I've just in the last like month and a half started like forcing myself every night at least once on stage. Like I've been just making the rounds at, um, you know, the LA has, LA has a great, like sort of underground open mic scene. Yeah. Which is really cool. Uh, and I've just been forcing myself every night and it's come back like, you know, like riding a bike really has. And it's been fun because I'm like, I very quickly was like, this is still, I'm still working through pushing myself through the anxiety, but I also remember why I love this so much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's been fun. I'm actually, after we get done here, the reason I confirmed the time last night is because after we get done here, I'm going right to a show at the, uh, the haha in North Hollywood. Awesome. So awesome. No, that's great yeah. to hear that you're getting back on stage. Yeah. Man, um, and it's, it, it's also, it was, it was, it scared me cause it was, I was just embarrassed by it. Like this mm-hmm. is what took me off stage. And then I, I find out, you know, just through conversation, like it's it's rare that there's like any comic that you know like any big comic half of them you know medicate a little bit before yeah. going on stage sure which i was like oh okay because that was <laughs> that was the other thing that's helped is is medication yeah um just like an as needed medication and i'm like mm-hmm. oh like half the people that you know yeah do the same thing and so uh, so it's it's the stigma was sort of washed away with too which is nice yeah so yeah even so, even I, I totally can relate. I had a um, an experience a couple of years ago where um, I don't know if you know who Dolph Ziggler is. You probably do because you may know his brother from being on AP Bio, uh, working with you guys on the wrestling episode. Um, but of Dolph course. Ziggler is a wrestler who does stand up yeah, yeah, comedy, yeah. and he was doing a show here in Chicago, and he had me on it, which was awesome because I didn't deserve to be on it. Um, but I had a moment like when the open, like the very first person that was going on was in like their like last 
joke, mm-hmm. I had a moment where I like didn't remember anything that I was going to say. And right. so I like, I like crouched down in the back of the room and I was like, oh my God, like I can't, I can't even go up there. Like I'm going to make an ass out of myself, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and it, you know, I went obviously and like stumbled through at the first, but, and it got fine, but it's just, it's like scary as hell. It feels like you're having a heart attack. Yeah. It feels for me, it's always been like my, I, the sensation is like, I need to get out of here. Yeah. Like I, like my, my fight or flight just kicks in and I'm like, I have to, I have to leave. Yeah. Um, and that's flared up with, with different amounts of intensity throughout my whole life. But it just sort of, you know, after I felt like I had found a groove in show business and like gotten a foot in the door in Hollywood, it came up again. And I was yeah. like, could, could this timing be worse? So I just, I just stopped and am now like working back through it. That's awesome. Um, but it's, it is horrifying. Yeah, um, absolutely. When it happens. But the other thing too is that you have to remember is that it's not terribly uncommon. That's yeah. that's the other thing is you feel like, oh, every uh, I'm the only performer who has this problem, and it's not even close to the truth. Oh yeah, yeah. The other thing that my wife like reminds me of sometimes is like, she's like my biggest supporter, but she'll be like, if you go up there and don't remember what you're gonna say and you say something else, nobody else knows where that was going exactly like it might not be ideal but like no one's gonna be like oh that wasn't part of the script you know like they don't know (laughs) exactly Uh, Jeez. um i want to talk about i think as i i've i've heard you say that as a kid you knew that you wanted to be an actor but there Mm -hmm. wasn't a blueprint for that right being in minnesota where you grew up Mm -hmm. um but then comedy potentially seemed like an option can you talk to me a little about that because i didn't know anything about comedy growing up so it seems you know a little like backwards i guess to me anyway it totally is backwards but it it (laughs) seemed like um it seemed like the only conduit at the time coming from the midwest Mm -hmm. Uh, um you know like like you know there's all kinds of paths or paths to into show business now, right? Like there's comedy, there's, you know, now with social media, like there's, you know, fucking TikTok and whatever the fuck else there is. Um, <laughs> so there's, there's just, you know, there's that. And then there's also like going to Juilliard, right? And get it in. So there's so many ways to do it, but coming from Minnesota is like the only viable option seems like comedy. And I don't know how far that's going to take me, but I know, you know, I knew, I knew when I was about to graduate from high school that I wasn't, going to go to to um to school for acting yeah um but but i also knew that if i stopped performing or being creative in that way i just would would be so miserable Mm -hmm. so it just seemed like something that i could um i could continue to sort of flex my creative muscles while also going to college like a normal person mm-hmm. and then and then I just you know fell in love with it you know not even really you know the not even like this is temporary but like oh I love this as a thing yeah yeah um but but yeah I I don't know it's weird to say but like I always I always knew that I wanted to be on TV and in movies and so it was like I I, I did comedy in a way that especially at that time, like 17, 18, 19 year olds didn't do it, which is, I took it so seriously. Yeah. 
and I treated it like a job and like it was never good enough. And if I, if I had a set where I wasn't like destroying, I was like, it's not good enough. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of perfectionism like really helped me, um, you know, be a cut above everybody who was doing it at my age. And by my age, I mean like 19, 18, 19. Right. Sure. So, um, so yeah, that, and then it ultimately, you know, a little bit of luck and, and it just kind of works out. Yeah. It sounds so, it sounds so fucking good. I'm like, listen, <laughs> just do that. You'll have a little bit of luck and you'll, it, it'll, it'll be fine. Everything comes together. Yeah. The universe <laughs> uh, unfolds as it should always. Absolutely. Who were some of your, uh, inspirations? Like when you, when you, uh, were growing up and then like when you started doing comedy yourself, people so that you looked this up is to. An, this is an interesting, so it changed, right? So like when I was a kid kid, before I started doing it, I loved who everybody loved. I love, um, you know, all the big, you know, comics from like the nineties and two thousands. So like I was a massive Eddie Murphy fan. I was massive. Um, Sinbad was one of my absolute favorites of all time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I finally got to see him a couple of years ago, which was amazing. Um, but yeah, and then, you know, growing up, I had, my parents were super into comedy. So, uh, they let me watch, you know, like Eddie Murphy younger than I, they probably should have. And, (laughs) and, uh, um, you know, and then, and at that time also comedy central presents was a big deal. Yeah. Like that, that was sort of a newer show Yep. and, and those were just on all the time. So I would watch like, you know, that was back when like Daniel Tosh was doing his like first a half hour and. All these people. But then when I started doing it, I got really into, um, you know, because being in comedy, you become more aware of, like, who are the, like, touring club comics, right? Like, not necessarily somebody you would see on, you know, who would have, like, a, you know, a bunch of stand-up DVDs or who was super famous. But the guys who were just in the clubs and who were respected by other comics. So those mm-hmm. were the guys that I started really loving. And it was at the time when Rooftop comedy who um produced my first album my only album that i did six years ago they had a they were sort of a new website at the time Mm -hmm. and so they had cameras in like 25 or 30 clubs nationwide uh one of them was the lincoln lodge Mm -hmm. uh but one of them was also acme in minneapolis which is where i i started so they would post clips from all from clubs all around the country online and that's how i became really familiar with the club comics so i just started loving comics who you know if you're outside of comedy you probably don't know who they are right but among comics they were really respected so those were the guys that i looked up to then that's cool that's cool so you obviously started like you said at a younger age like 17 Mm -hmm. um when you got old enough to go to college. Like you said, you weren't going for acting. Like what made you go to the East coast and pick Boston U? Uh, so BU, it was, first of all, it was in a city, which I really, um, liked a lot. I had, you know, toured a bunch of colleges that were, you know, like on, you know, college campuses that were in towns where it was, you know, sort of Gothic buildings and rolling Hills, but it was sort of, you know, away from everything. And I grew up in the city and I just knew that, um, you know, I wanted to be in a city and, and BU is like, you know, in the middle of Boston. I mean, you couldn't get more. So, so it was, it was 
it was that. And I also knew that Boston, I had, a, I didn't know this for sure, but I had, a, I had always gotten a sense uh, from what I knew about where comedy was happening when I was in high school, that Boston was one of those like cities that you go to, to sort of get ready to make okay. it. If that makes yeah. sense. Like, like, okay, New York and LA is where New York, LA, San Francisco is where like you go to make it in comedy. Boston is like where you go to get ready to make it and okay. really sort of cut your teeth and, and, and get good. And so that's, that's exactly what happened. Um, and that was, that was also uh, one of the reasons I, I wanted to be there. But also BU is like, it's all, uh, this has also stayed true. Is it, it seemed like a place that had a perfect mix of sort of collegiate prestige, but also like cool. If mm-hmm. that makes sense. So it's like, it's a cool place to go and it's not pretentious, but it also has like, you know, a huge amount of, uh, of, you know, academic respect. Sure. Sure. So, yeah, but you're not, it's not like, Hey, look at this guy over at Yale. <laughs> or no, whatever. yeah, it's not Harvard. It's not <laughs> Yale. It's not Princeton. Yeah. 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 Um, but it's still like, you know, so the cool factor. Of, yeah. yeah. It's one of the, uh, you know, the leading, first of all, it, I mean, it is the leading institution for um studying like cte for example um uh uh and 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 brain injury mm-hmm. you know like they have a bunch of you know former athletes brains yeah who, you know they're they're studying cte and, and so it's you know it's a great academic institution as well yeah i haven't i haven't been back since i graduated and i feel a little bad about that because i miss it a lot yeah um, maybe you could uh, maybe you could tape a special there. <laughs> Al, uh, Alice and I are writing a movie that takes place in Boston right now. Oh, fun! So, That's yeah. very fun. Yeah. Um, I've heard you say that you spent more time focused on stand up than college at the time. At the time, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Much what to was... the, the chagrin of my parents, but now also they realize that it, it, you know it, it worked out. So yeah, yeah. And you see, you made it out. <laughs> I did make it out. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I don't recommend it, but, but it is, it is what it is. Yeah. What was the, so I know that you said it's sort of like cutting your teeth or like getting ready to make it, but like, what was the local scene like there and how was it, how did you like use that to your advantage to sort of progress your comedy career? Um, well, it was really good. First of all, there were, there were a ton of clubs. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, um, I sort of like the first week that I even moved in and got there, I started calling, you know, clubs to just get like an audition set. And um, there was one club especially called called Nick's Comedy Stop, which is in the theater district. That was really good to me in the beginning. And the booker there, a guy by the name of Ryan Cott, was wonderful to me and gave me like, you know, sets every weekend. So I really was fortunate to get a lot of time in front because they would pack it every weekend yeah um, to get a lot of time in front of like big good audiences Mm -hmm. um so i really got a good sense of what was what was gonna work in a good comedy room and Mm -hmm. what what wasn't you know instead of like i think sometimes your sense of how you're doing can be skewed a little bit in terms of um, the quality of the room that you're in all the time. 
You know what I mean? Like, I, I, it can be kind of understated if you're just in like shitty open mics every night with like four people, right? Because you yeah. don't, you might be doing way better than you think, but obviously, four people in a room is not going to give you that sense. Yeah. So, like, when you're in front of 150 four times a weekend, you, you're like, okay, so this is like, if I was to go, you know, at every, you know, touring club in, in the country, this, this is how it feels. And this is what works. Obviously, yeah. comedy would, you know, in every part of the country, what works is a little different. But just learning how to work with big club audiences and getting a lot of reps early was mm-hmm. really helpful. And I was really fortunate that they, um, they, they gave me that shot. And, like, you know, I, they let me headline by my senior year of college, which oh, was really amazing. cool. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it was, it was great. It was really great. And it was so easy, too. Like, it was the, uh, the I don't know if you've been, but the, uh, the train system in Boston is so easy. Mm. I mean, it literally, you get on the train, like, outside my dorm, and 15 minutes, <laughs> you're in the theater district, and you walk two blocks, and you're at the club. So it was, the access was unbelievable. Yeah. No, that's great. I've only been one time, and it was, like, for work, so it was very boring. <laughs> right. So you did, yeah, you didn't get a sense of... No, of I didn't get to art. do yeah. anything. Yeah. Um, was it when you were in college, when you were back home in Minnesota, and then were, you were on the same open mic as Nick Swartzen? Yes, I was 19. Yeah. It was my can, sophomore can. year. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And uh, that was a pretty big moment for you. What happened that night? So uh, I just showed up to Acme's open mic, which is yeah. I, I would you know, do. I still do when I go home. And um, I had just, you know, you hear there's there's rumblings that like, oh, he's he's going to be here. He's or he's he's here. He's somewhere. And he's, you know, just showing up to close the show. And I was just excited to see him because it was like, you know, as far as as comedy goes, he was the biggest thing to come out of Minnesota, like in the last, you know, 20 years. And it was like he had a, a career that at the time I was like, that's the career I want because he's like big in stand up. But he's also, you know, doing you know movies with Sandler and Reno 911. So it was like you know, it was just, it was, he had the perfect career. And so he was one of my, so I was just excited to see him. And he went up at the end. Uh, I had a good set early in the show and then he went up at the end and just was awesome. And I was like, that was, that was, you know, that was great. It was a great night. I had a good set. I got to see him do a great set. It was awesome. And then I go home and I have a Facebook message from him and he just said, you were really funny and I think you're going to go really far. And I was like, what? (laughs) uh and so you know i didn't even know that he had seen it but he just had seen it and i guess felt strongly enough to like reach out to me find out who i was and like reach out to me on facebook which was unbelievable that's very minnesota nice it it was super minnesota (laughs) nice and then yeah we just we just uh stayed in touch and then when he came out to the east coast um later that year to uh um, you know, he's doing a tour of East Coast colleges. He called me and, and let me open for him at like, you know, Boston College Arena, shit like that. So it was it was awesome. Wow. Yeah. It's yeah. great. That's great. Yeah. Um, what I want to ask about um, the show that you were involved in that was filmed on campus, the Welcome Back Broader. How um, <laughs> <laughs> was this your first technical foray into like proper act? Like I will call it proper, but like acting, acting versus like stand up. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I mean, I mean, yeah. The first anything that was on camera is my my buddy Cody Broder, who's still, uh, you know, he's out here now. He's a 
he's a really, really talented writer, and he's got he's been super successful in that world. And he he had like the big, uh, you know, at the time, you know, online show at mm-hmm. at BU. So he was he was in the um, school of communication, which is where all the film majors were. Yep. And so he and um, uh, he and this other guy just. Uh, uh, Paul Ryan or Ryan Paul, I forget the guy's name, but he and this other guy who was in comedy at BU started this, this online show and they just, they asked me to be in it once. That's fun. So yeah. Take me through sort of how college went, um, the job that you like had in the interim and then sort of like how you ended up in LA. Like what was that progression? Right. So when I was a sophomore, um, uh, and I met, um, Swartz and one of the other things that he did for me, he was like, you know, if you want to come out to LA and just sort of visit, um, you know, I can get you some, I'll get you a couple of sets at the improv if you want. And I was like, yeah. So my, my, you know, dad, my, who's, who I, by the way, uh, my parents, I, I mean, could not have done any of this without, I mean, they were so supportive, you know, from the beginning, like they, they were disappointed that I didn't do as well as I could have in college, but at the same time, they were like, we see something in you too, and, and we, we want you to chase this, which is, mm-hmm. I think, super rare. So anyway, he sent me uh, out there, you know, uh, for a few, a few days just to sort of visit and see what it was like, and I got uh, two sets at the improv, and at the first one, uh, you know, did great, and uh, it, was, it was two in one night. After the first one, I had done really well, and this guy approached me in the bar and started asking me questions just about my background and who I was, where I was from, and I was like, who the fuck is this? And then <laughs> he's like, oh, well, I'm going to stay and watch the second show. And I go, okay. And I had a, another good set the second show, and then afterwards he hands me a card, and he says, why don't you give me a call tomorrow? And he's a manager. And I called Swartz, and I go, or do you know this manager in this company? He goes, oh, yeah, they have Jonah Hill. They have all the Reno 911 people, like, they're legit. Mm-hmm. So I called him and he basically signed me right there. And wow. this was 11 years ago and he's still my manager to this day. He's actually oh, picking shit. me up uh, after this to take <laughs> me to the fucking club because <laughs> I still don't have a car. But anyway, once I had like, a, you know, um, a, a, a manager who was with one of the biggest companies that did comedy being committed to me and I wasn't even out of school it was like, okay, because um, I was always self-aware enough to be like, if I just moved to L.A. or New York with, with you know, just a dream and, like, some material, uh, you know, chances are, are low. I mean, it doesn't, you know, happen. I'm not, I'm not so, you know, naive or, or un, you know, just ignorantly pretentious where I'm like, I'm like, oh, I deserve to make it, and I'll just mm-hmm. go and I'll make it because it's supposed. To. So, so I wasn't going to do that, but now that I had a solid r- representation, that sort of changed the game. Mm-hmm. At us as a sophomore, and I was like, well, I think, I you know, I have to finish out college for sure. I was never going to leave college early, but I was like, afterwards, I think I would be remiss if I didn't try. And uh, sure. I think my my leg up here just coming in cold to L is, is pretty significant with this, with this, you know, connection. So I finished college. I came home the summer after I graduated and spent 
three months working, uh, doing data entry in the same building where my mom worked. So we went to work every day together. Uh, and I had like a desk and, and it was, it was absolutely miserable, but Mm -hmm. I made a little (laughs) bit of money. Uh, and then September 9th, 2013, I, uh, you know, found a room, you know, a sublet bedroom in, in LA and, and moved. Wow. And that was that. Yeah. And here we are eight and a half years later, (laughs) eight and a half years. Yeah. Well, in that eight and a half years, you've obviously done some pretty cool stuff, like uh, with some roles on things like Shameless, where you, I think, uh, if my research is correct, you got to be directed by William H Macy. I did, which is pretty. That was one amazing. of my earliest, like big. I mean, again, it wasn't a big role; it was, you know, a co-star, but it was like, it was, you know, one of the best shows, and him directing it. It was like, oh, this is this is really cool. Yeah, and the fact that I've only been here for a year, this is this is cool. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. it was cool. So, I mean, that's, that's huge. Um, I know that you did, uh, a, a role on the middle as well. I loved that show. Actually, <laughs> that show um, is really just goofy and fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, and then in, you know, movies like office Christmas party, which I've heard you say was, was obviously kind of a turning point. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and, uh, just getting started, which has an, an amazing, Yes, Rotten Tomato score. Oh my god, <laughs> that's one of my favorite things. I think I think it's like, I mean, I haven't checked it in a while. I, I think it's like four, three or four. <laughs> we can we can look it up and find out. Um, yeah, if, yeah. If you want to, I'd be I'd, I'd be curious to know what it yeah, is. Yeah, let me look it up. Um, I mean, I can't, I can't look at it for my own no, sanity, but um, it's one of those things though. Like that. So, however, however, it's received either way. Like that's an experience working with Morgan Freeman, Doesn't Tommy matter. Lee Jones, or Avery. Like, like life, I don't life care. Changing regardless, yeah, hundred percent, absolutely. 100%. Uh, you're right. Four percent is the tomato meter, which Sweet. is that the critic consensus? Yeah, ten percent audience score though. We'll take that. Yeah, people watch so, it on airplanes a lot. I get checks in the mail from like that are that <laughs> it's it's a lot of like foreign or airplane royalties. Okay, you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, so people are watching this on airplanes from like, you know, Istanbul to Portugal. Okay. You know, yeah, that's fine. There are, there are worse things to get checks for. Yeah. <laughs> um, There's a market for everything. Yeah. I, so, you know, like uh, some of those experiences are just, I can't even imagine like working with some of those people, like your Jennifer Aniston's, like we said, Morgan Freeman, William H. Macy, like Patricia Heaton, mm-hmm. all of these people who are just like insane. Like what? How has that been like for you? Has it like with, from a learning experience? I mean, unbelievable. I mean, there's, there's, there's part of you, right. That's starstruck always. Yeah. Um, especially with like Morgan Freeman and Jennifer Aniston, like the starstruckness kind of never fades no matter how long you're working with them. But then there's also this sense of like, um, you know, they, they, I think what makes people like that great is they bring out the best in everybody around them, right? So it makes you want to be as good as you can, um, in, you know, in their presence and, and because you don't want to take away from what's going on. And so it really puts you on your A game. And that's, you know, and, and that's amazing too. So yeah, they, they really bring it out of you. That's awesome, but it's but it is cool. Like it never, it you're, you're it's how you would imagine it. It, it is <laughs> where like it never really 
the magic kind of never really totally fades. Like I saw Morgan Freeman every single day for six weeks in a row. Every day. I was with him all day, every day for six weeks. It became, you know, somewhat normal. Like we would just talk about, you know, normal shit. Um, But there was always like, I was always sort of able to step outside myself a little bit (laughs) and sort of look in on it and be like, this is really, this is cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I was happy that I never lost that. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's, that's, it's great. It's great. It gives you a great perspective. Yeah. Um, so I want to switch a little bit, uh, over to AP bio. I think it's, um, for now, obviously I think so far in your career, as far as, uh, acting, you're most known for portraying Marcus on AP bio. Mm -hmm. Um, but you originally didn't audition for Marcus, right? Correct. Yeah. Who, okay. So I, I, again, researching, uh, if I'm correct, it it was the role of Devin. That's right. How (laughs) looking back on it now, obviously like. Devin's departure aside, let's mm-hmm. take that out of the equation. Are you like, do you have any sort of like, oh, it would have been cool to see how Devin would have played out? Or like, are you like, nope, I'm, this is cool. I'm Marcus all the way. No. Yeah. It's more the latter. Just because when you're on a great show like that, yeah, it's almost like um, they they can tell where you need to be better than mm-hmm. you can. Okay. And then once they put you where you need to be in the in the equation, you sort of go, "Oh, this makes sense." Sure. So it was never like, "Man, I wish I would I could have just been and it was like, no, like this was they saw the potential for what Marcus could be and this, you know, the, you know, this crucial sort of whipping boy that was needed and they, you know, knew that I could do it before I did and just put me there and then that was that was that. And I'm like, Oh, Oh, that was, that was the right call. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm perfectly content. <laughs> well, I mean, otherwise you wouldn't be able to be called a soulless taint, which is exactly. probably one of the best burns I think um, I've ever heard in, in my life. How would you just, dis- so for people that may be listening and, and haven't watched AP bio, how would you describe Marcus to someone? Um, so I, I, I always, and this, this comparison has been made before. It's sort of like he's he's like Toby Flenderson from The Office with a little bit more teenage snark. Okay. I, yep. I, I think that's pretty – in just the way that he gets treated by Jack and, and the way Toby's treated by Michael and then everybody else around them. But then Toby is also, you know, just kind of like takes it. And Marcus yeah. takes it a little bit too, but he also has this enduring hope that things are going to change. Mm-hmm. I think Toby's kind of accepted his fate, and Marcus is it just has this, this this sort of naive hope where it's like, yeah, but he'll 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 eventually realize that my value yeah. and that I, what I'm saying is correct, and he never does. Yeah. So <laughs> of course, of course not. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, the, it's healthy skepticism though, to bring to the, to the table, I think. Um, well, it's with, needed. With I think, the, I think yeah. if Marcus were to let himself get beaten down, we, um, uh, as the audience might start to feel bad for him and we can't have that. Like right. the way, the reason Marcus works is because we, he gets mercilessly just pounded into the ground and we never really feel bad about it. Yeah. Because we know, yeah. oh, he's going to be, he's fine. He's fine. He's fine. So, so I think it needs, it needs that enduring hope because then we never feel bad because we know 
he's not getting depressed. Yeah. Yeah. So what, um, so Marcus's parents own a car dealership there in Mm -hmm. Toledo. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe, I don't believe, and you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong on this. We don't know though, what type of car Marcus drives in your mind. What kind of car does Marcus drive to school? Um, it will, I could go one of two ways. He either drives like, you know, the most ridiculous thing mm-hmm. that he could get from, you know, what they probably would like, you know, like a, like an orange charger or something. Oh yeah. Yeah. I something that, that he thinks is going to make him cool. That isn't at all. Yeah. You know, but he's like, this is what cool people drive and it's not even close. So something <laughs> like that or something where he's pretentious about how practical it is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, um, I don't know, some kind of, some hybrid. Yeah, of course. He, all, yeah, yeah. All, all he'll do is talk about how, like, how fuel efficient it is and how good for the environment it is and how green it is and look down on everybody for not doing their part the way he yeah. is. Yeah. So it could be, I, but my, my instinct says it's something that he in his mind thinks is like a really, really cool car. That's not at all. Okay. <laughs> right on, right on. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so I've had Charlie McCracken on as mm-hmm. well as Allison Snyder. Um, so we've talked about sort of this balance on the show. Um, and I say, I say this whenever anyone's on from the show. Um, but this is, it is one of my favorite shows. I think the writing is just tremendous. The characters are amazing. But, um, one of the things I've talked about with both of them is this balance of the writers sort of getting to know the actors that are portraying the characters Mm. and then the actors sort of bringing those, uh, these like attributes kind of forward and making the characters their own. How has that, um, how has that experience been for you with, with Marcus? Really good. I mean, you're always, I think the writers and the actors are always sort of responding in small ways to what the other is doing. Right. So it's whatever direction the writing seems to be going in you know how however i see marcus shaping in terms of what is on the page you know like you try to lean into that a little more and then again like you know whatever you're doing on screen that you know they see there's potential for something they'll they'll write it in Mm -hmm. you know like oh like they might just from uh, you know, a performance on one episode, they might be like, well, it might be really funny if, you know, I feel like Nick could do, if we had Marcus do this, I feel like mm-hmm. Nick could do that well. And then they'll write that in. So you're, you're, you're constantly just re- reacting to the other, I think. Yeah. No, it's, a, it's, it seems to, from my opinion, <laughs> it, it works. So, yeah. Um, yeah. They've, 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 they caught on early to the fact that I, I, I do, I guess, I guess well, but I, I, or, or, you know, I don't have any, any reservations, but they always give me like weird physical shit to do, mm-hmm. whether that's like putting me in a costume that's really unflattering or like doing something physical that's just ridiculous and unflattering. Yeah. They, <laughs> they tend to throw me those gags, which I'm, I'm happy to do. Yeah. Physical comedy is kind of a lot a lost art somewhat these days i feel like right yeah no that's great that's great it's a good way to stand out too uh my last ap bio question for you Mm. is i've now kind of made it an unofficial goal 
to get the entire cast on, on this podcast one yeah. at a time. Who do you think that I should ask next? Who do you think would be the most receptive? Mm. Jacob Houston, I think. Victor. Okay. Got it. Yep. Yeah. I'm on I it. He, I think he'd do it. <laughs> I'm on it. Mm-hmm. Um, awesome. What, um, so obviously we talked earlier, this is my last question for you in this round. My, uh, we talked earlier about getting back into stand up. What else, um, what else is coming up for you that you're allowed to talk about? I mean, there might be some things you can't, but I have, uh, well, I just a couple, like a month ago, got home from, um, two months in Atlanta doing a Netflix movie with Rob Lowe. Okay. That is coming out mid next year. Right on. Uh, it's called Dog On. It's a, it's a, it's my first family film. Oh, fun. Uh, yeah, it's really, it's kind of, it's a, it's a dog movie. Yeah. You know, it's like a family <laughs> dog movie, but it was wow. super fun. It was, it's directed by, um, Stephen Herrick who did, you know, Critters, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, The yeah. Mighty Ducks, you know, live action, 101 down, all, all that shit. Uh, and he <laughs> is, you know, he did Mr. Holland's Opus too, which Richard Dreyfuss got nominated for an Academy Award. Uh, and Herrick is, he's great at like taking things that are family friendly. Cause we knew, you know, it's a PG movie, but like making them exist in a non Disney world, if sure. that makes sense. Yep. So you, yeah. you, what you, it's his stuff is like, you watch and you go, Oh, this is clean, but this is real. And I right. think that's, that's a difficult needle to thread sometimes, mm-hmm. but he was, you know, I grew up with, you know, Mighty Ducks is like, yeah, that's the, that's the, 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 the biopic of anybody who grew up playing hockey in Minnesota. So that was, that was awesome. Yeah. So anyway, so yeah, I have that. Um, I'm doing, uh, the Largo theater with Pat Oswalt oh, next fun, week, yeah. next weekend, next Sunday night. Um, yeah. And I have, uh, other things on the go that I can't talk about, but, uh, yeah. That's, that's that. Yeah. We'll we'll stay tuned. Yeah. Things go. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Um, that's all the questions I have for the, for this first round. Um, if you're still good, we'll move into the second round, which is five for five. Sweet. Awesome. So as I mentioned before, this is named after the Arby's culinary deal, the nineties, where you get five classic roast beef sandwiches for $5. Mm -hmm. We are not sponsored by Arby's, but we are trying to be. Um, (laughs) so I will, uh, as I mentioned, this is, you get to ask me five questions. I have five questions for you. Um, you are the guest, so I will allow you to go first. If you could go back in time anywhere, I know this is, this is a little bit hack. If you could go back in time anywhere and see anything, what would you go see? Oh, anything at all. Um, Mm -hmm. this is like a, it's a very weird answer. (laughs) I would be interested to see the great depression and I'll tell you the reason why, not that I want to live through it, but like both of my sets of grandparents, like always referred to, or like talked about the depression. They were alive at the time. Um, and it like, it changed their, the way that they looked at everything. So like, (laughs) they were somewhat like hoarders. They didn't want to like get rid of stuff because they for a long time had been not able to have anything right with it. Like you couldn't get stuff. And so I think like my mom, like my wife and I have talked about this, like we're going to be telling stories down the road of like, and then we had to wash our groceries, you know, Mm -hmm. like I think that's going to be like our sort of analogy, but like I would be fascinated to see the sort of tail end of the depression and then like the roaring twenties and like, when all of that kind of came to, to be over and like what life started looking like and then why couldn't people move on f- from it? Right. 
Awesome. Yeah, it's a weird answer maybe, but yeah, it um, works. <laughs> it's a little depressing. My first question for you is um, how do you eat an Oreo cookie? Just just straight, like a sandwich. Straight. So no like technique? No. Okay, right no on. Technique. Just what is it like a one bite thing for you or do you like is it multiple bites? Three. Three. One. Okay. It's like I think it's like one for me. I'm like trying to play it back in my like how I would do it. Um, I, I mean, I experimented as we all did when I was a kid with like cracking it open. And, and no, just go. Yeah. Just, Do you go milk or are you just like straight cookie? Water. Okay. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't. I, I was forced to drink milk as a kid, and for that reason, I hate it. And I just take like vitamin D supplements. Yeah, I don't like milk so, either. Yeah. So I'm with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right, it's time for your second question for me. What do you think happens when we die? I. <laughs> I don't. I think you just, I think it, you, you just stop. Like, I just think your body stops and, um, I don't really know that I believe in anything past that. No. I, if I my parents say. listen to this, I will be in so much trouble when no. I go home next, but, uh, <laughs> because they're very religious. Um, I just don't, I don't know. I've not seen anything to indicate that like anyone from my life who is no longer here exists elsewhere in any other form. So, I mean, maybe that's like selfish, uh, and I don't have a lot of experience luckily with that. Um, but I think, I think you just stop. I think that's what I always said. I was like, who cares? Won't affect us. Yeah. (laughs) Right. My second question for you is if there was a Nick Pine action figure, I'm a big action figure person. What are two accessories that would be included in the package? There's a few ways you could go with this. Uh, golf clubs for sure. Maybe a deck of cards, like, you know. A poker set, perhaps. Oh, okay. Right on. Yeah. Uh, your third question for me. I'm really into like hi- historical shit. So I, um, uh, dinner with anybody dead or alive. I would be fascinated to have dinner with um, JFK. Interesting. Yeah. I want. Uh, I feel like there's just a lot that went on with that family. Mm-hmm obviously before their unfortunate, his unfortunate demise. Um, and I, I would love to know some of the details. Mm-hmm. We'd have to go to like the Soho house though. So nobody could take a picture. Like, right. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. See, I think he would like the Soho house though. Oh yeah. I think he would too. I think <laughs> Absolutely. he for sure would. <laughs> uh, my third question for you is, is there a film or cartoon character who is very much like you? And if in, in what way? no no one nobody that sticks out okay and there's well i'll say this i've never seen anybody um on in film or tv or cartoons where i go oh i identify with that character on multiple levels Okay. I, you know, I've seen ones where I go, oh, like, I like that the way they like that. Or they, we have this character trait in common, but nobody who I really, I'm like, everything about me is them. Okay. We're, vi- we're, we're, we're super, no. That's I fair. That's it. more than fair. Yeah. Your fourth question for me. This is a classic. Hard shell or soft shell tacos? And, uh, and why? And why? If I'm... If I'm stationary, not mm-hmm. in. A, if I'm stationary at home or in a restaurant, I'm gonna go hard shell. Love it. If I'm driving, I would go soft shell because I feel like they're easier to grip and to l- make less of a mess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
<laughs> That's right. a great question, though. Yeah. <laughs> I think it says a lot about it. It's a simple one, but it's it says a lot about somebody, the way they yeah. answer that. Yeah. Uh, my fourth question for you is, what's the craziest backhanded compliment you've ever received? One time, uh, there was a, a girl that I was very interested in, and she I, I convinced her to come see me do stand-up. This was in college. And she had sort of was like on the fence about it. She's like, yeah, I'll come see it. Fine. And I saw her after the show and she goes, and she just, it, it was the way she said it. She goes, you're funny. <laughs> but it was like, it was like it, everything about the way she said it was like, I was not expecting you to be even a little bit funny. Yeah. Like the fact that you're any good at this caught me totally by surprise. It's <laughs> like, you're funny. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yep. Thank you. That works. <laughs> uh, your fifth and final question for me in this round. I remembered, I remembered the one I was going to ask you before. Um, yeah. what's a conspiracy theory that you believe in? <laughs> um, I laugh because this came up on the episode with Allison. I don't really buy into many conspiracy theories, but Kenny has caused me to believe based on the research that I've done since he mentioned this, that Stevie Wonder may not actually be blind. It's a very common one that I've heard. Yeah. That for me is one where I'm like, I don't know. I can see that. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know why you would pretend to be blind if you're not, but you know, hey, whatevs. I like I can see it happening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like that. Uh, yeah. And and the the evidence that Kenny cited, which I did find video of this, was uh, I, I've seen the like video that I the Saturday I Night Live. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, that you're about to say. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it. I mean, and it absolutely, he does. He just reaches out and grabs it. So I'm like, reaches out and grabs it. You know, I don't know who could feel a microphone stand collapsing. Like I don't know. He had. There had to be something. There's something mm-hmm. there. Um, I don't know. We'll see if he listens. Stevie Wonder, if you're listening and you would like to discuss this, feel free to hit me up. Um, my fifth question for you is: What is something that most people think is true about you, but to actually, in actuality, it isn't true at all? Oh, well, this is, we've kind of already touched on it. I think a lot of times people assume that performing, you know, either on stage or on screen is, is just easy. Yeah. And, and and I'm just able to do it without any, 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 any sort of mental difficulty. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where, where, I mean, there is a tremendous amount of of, you know, sometimes mental anguish that I, that some of it's obviously self-induced, but, you know, just around anxiety and panic and, um, you know, lack of internal confidence and um, second guessing and, and all of that. It's not easy. I'm not, a, I mean, I'm not, a. this is, it's not easy. Whatever you're seeing, I didn't wake up that morning and just, you know, go do it and and not i mean it was i probably you know like if you see an episode of ap by i probably had like you know i had probably been thinking about that scene for days i had had panic attacks that morning i had to like go to the bathroom and give myself pep talk like before it you know there's just it's just it's a lot so if people you know out there who obviously stage fright is a pretty common thing if they think that People like me are immune to that. Um, it's very much not the case. I think it's just, um, 
I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's just the 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 disappointment I'll feel in myself is just it just slightly outweighs the fear of doing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's yeah, that's the one thing that I've always been able to do, and the one thing that I always go back to is like I've always been able to walk through fear mm-hmm. and force myself to do it. But it's not easy. So there it is. Yeah. If yeah, if anybody yeah. assumes that oh he's just good, it just it's just natural and it's not easy. It's not fucking easy no. at all. No. I feel like I'm sure you feel about it. If you're like I could never do that, like I can't do it either. I just somehow force myself to. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. And it's mentally exhausting and, mentally <laughs> and emotionally exhausting. draining. This yeah. show tonight, I've been thinking about it for a week. Yeah. Like yeah yeah absolutely. Anytime, anytime I do stand, it's the same thing. Like I don't, the whole day I'm like having panic attacks. Like I won't eat anything cause I don't want to get sick. Like it's like, yeah. And then the second I come off stage, it's like, I have a little bit of relief, but I also immediately start going to the place of like, how terrible was it? Like how, what could I do better? What would, would this have gone differently if I had said it this way? It's just like, it's well, nonstop. Also, it gets worse. The more success you have in Hollywood, right? Cause sure. now it's like. You can, you know, somebody could go to an open mic who's just an open micer and not do well. But I mean, you know, no uh, people can come see me and 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 potentially be like, I saw Nick Pine from AP Bio. He was bad. Yeah, right. Like I, I can't, I don't want that. Right. Yeah. So that's terrible. I, I feel like the the stakes also get get higher. So. Of course. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, awesome. Well, the last round here is this, uh, paper fortune teller. So what mm-hmm. I'll do is ask you a series of questions, which will reveal an activity. And then, um, we'll play that quick activity. Uh, in this scenario, you and I are in a road trip in a car. And so mm-hmm. the first thing that I do is I, um, ask you to start a boy band playlist because I love boy bands. Um, and Me so too. would you pick Backstreet Boys in sync one direction or 98 degrees for the first song? Backstreet Boys. It's not even a question. Okay. All right. Um, we have stop at a gas station and we're getting snacks of the of these four snacks. Which would you pick? Uh, corn nuts, milk duds, Cheez Its, or Sour Patch Kids? Sour Patch Kids. Okay. And we stop at a drive through to get lunch. Uh, do you stop at Wendy's, McDonald's, Burger King, or Arby's? McDonald's. Keep it classic. McDonald's. Wow. Okay. So under McDonald's um, is the game Two Truths and a Lie this week. Um, so I will ask you <laughs> to share with me three statements, two of which are true and one is a lie. And I will try to guess which one you're lying about. Okay. And well, see, here's the thing. You've done some research. So some interesting things you probably know. Okay. Let's do this. I've had two hole in ones in my life. Okay. Renee Russo tried to kiss me and, um, I didn't have my wisdom teeth out until I was, 30. I think that the hole in one's one. I, I feel like that's the lie. Very good. Good for you. <laughs> um, cause I feel like you and Renee Russo are on good terms. So like you wouldn't say that if yeah, it wasn't, was, if there yeah, wasn't yeah. some s- story behind that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and the wisdom teeth, I can, I can see that a hundred percent. Have you had one hole in one or more than two? I've never had one. I've never had never. one period. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Um, awesome. So this is the moment, Nick, of the podcast that we've been building to, which is the friend request mm-hmm. in the vein of Facebook. So um, based on our time together, if I send, if Logan Cummins has sent you a friend request, would you confirm or delete the friend request? Confirm. 100%. This was fun. Awesome. 
Thank you. Thank you so much. Has um, anybody said no? Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> so I'm like, what, 26? 26 and 0? 26 and 0. Yeah. Doing, doing pretty good. The only person that hasn't accepted my friend request is Kenny. Um, well, that I was just going to say. But yeah. if, if there was going to be one person not to, it seems like it'd be Kenny. <laughs> yeah. He likes to hold it over my head, though, so it's fine. If you're listening at home and you have an idea for what Nick and I should do the first time that we hang out, feel free to hit us up on Twitter or Instagram, um, or you can text the podcast to 872-267-2735. Nick, can you tell people where to find you online and support uh, any of your endeavors? Um, I mean, my... I'm just on Instagram, it's at Pintar, and that's my last name, P-E-I-N-E, and then just T-A-R. Right um, on. Yeah, I used to play baseball, so it's <laughs> that, that was that was clever. It, um, yeah, that I um, I have lots on the go. Keep your fingers for me. AP Bio all seasons available on Peacock. Yeah, uh, yeah. Dog on Netflix mid next year. Right on. Awesome. And uh, we'll post a link to your Twitter and Instagram as well in the show notes for anybody awesome. that wants uh, wants to see it. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, thanks for hanging out really and fun. thanks for being my friend. Have a great night, man. You too. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening to the Fast Friends Podcast. Don't forget to join us next week for an all-new episode. Go ahead and hit subscribe so you don't miss it. You can follow me on Twitter at Logan Cummins. And if you have a suggestion on someone that I should be friends with, go ahead and let me know at fastfriendspodcast.com.